It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Welcome to Gegen Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I am a returning for the second time host. Hal Stewart, delighted to be so as well. We are going to today focus on the DFL Super Cup, a recap of Eintracht Frankfurt against Bayern Munich. For a team famous for its sausage, it was actually Bayern who produced the bangers. And we do want to know how the sausage is made. So let's dissect this performance. It's time to ask who was your top dog and who was your curry first? Lewandowski had a wait for this one, eh? Lewandowski had an Eintracht mind, only thinking about goals. So let's get the thoughts of German football expert, journalist, and self-confessed scouser. Happy birthday, Chris Williams! Thank you very much. It was yesterday, but it's very kind. This is the sort of the beauty of the podcast, Chris. I mean, people can be listening to it at any time. So uh, embrace the love that's coming from me and alongside. Fellow journalist Manu Veith, editor and chief at Football Grad Network, and a self-confessed German human man. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, how is it going? And also, happy happy twenty fourth birthday, Chris. <laughs> it's not far off times too, but it will be in ten years. So yeah, it's got you know well forty. So my maths is terrible anyway. So yeah, I'm eight years off that, Manu. But thanks, hey, Chris. I wanted to say uh, congratulations. You obviously were covering. Liverpool, and I mentioned you are a Scouse person, so you know you were obviously happy that Liverpool gave you a victory on your birthday. I personally hate it when my team is playing on my birthday. Um, yeah, so I yeah had had a nice day working on my birthday. Saw my family for an hour or so, um, and then drove down to Buckinghamshire. So uh, yeah, I was really popular at home. <laughs> I was wondering, uh, Mane, Sado Mane, the, do the Liverpool fans sing? And if they don't, they should. This. Um, Money, 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 money. No, no, they don't. They sing um, uh, Sadio Money. Right. Oh, money, money. But they just sing that bit. They don't sing the horrendous after bit. That's some comedian. Well, I prefer where I took that. Okay, I said it was going to be a Super Cup recap. I've already watched the game twice. Just try and get my head around what went wrong for Eintracht Frankfurt. If you don't know, they fell to Bayern Munich by five goals to nil. Bayern were once again their dominant selves. Manu, did we see this coming? Yeah, we didn't didn't see that coming. Um, and to a certain extent, when you watch the 
first for what was it 20 minutes right um you didn't really think it would go down that route either because i actually thought that frankfurt started quite well into that game and that's also what i wrote in my my match report and it was bayern's first chance of the game that really produced the goods and i mean what a cross it was by kimmich um from the half field <laughs> i wrote down it was about a 30 35 yard cross that found Lewandowski in the box and that was the first that was the first real chance of the match and made it 1-0 and i think that's just maybe was the difference at that moment and i thought what was really what was disappointing after that is how frankfurt completely lost their shape um, i thought that they played very well up to that point and i actually reckoned that this would be a very close game up at that point but then they completely fell apart and i think um, when you look at the way they played um it was the sort of this half breed between Nico Kovac's 3-5-2 and Adi Hütter, whatever he wants to do with the squad over the year, because in previous teams that he coached, he never actually played with three in the back. He usually played with four in the back. So I guess um, for Frankfurt, there has a lot of work to be done, but Bayern were absolutely fantastic. Yeah, they really were. There was at 2-0, you mentioned how Bayern were clinical. The stat was that Eintracht Frankfurt had had four shots on goal, zero on target. Bayern had had two shots on goal, both on target. Lewandowski had scored both. It really was, Manu, the Robert Lewandowski show. Yeah, it really was. And I mean, this comes off the back of a World Cup where he was very poor. Um, mm. This comes off a summer full of transfer, transfer speculations. And all these transfer speculations were made by him. Right. He was quite open about saying, well, he wants to leave Bayern. And, um, I have quite a good lot of connections to Poland and uh, connections to very well connected journalists there. And they all said, well, he really wants to leave, not because he doesn't like to be in Munich anymore. He doesn't think that this isn't a good club, but because he wants to make, he very much has a career path laid out for himself and he just wants to make another experience. And, uh, maybe he should have, thought about that before he signed that long-term contract right that will keep him at the um, at the club until 2021 so Bayern basically said no why would we sell we're not a seller's club so there was a lot of speculation on how he would react to all of that and then he does this at his first game back and I think that's as good of a reaction than you will get from any player absolutely it's the perfect way to answer your critics uh, Chris Eintracht Frankfurt I mean, it was a horror show, particularly from the, their goalkeeper. Really, a game to forget. Well, yeah, it wasn't the best of debuts for him, was it? Competitive debuts. Um, I didn't think he did too bad on the whole. Uh, I thought maybe the third goal was probably the worst one of the lot for him. But um, I think I would personally put this down to the formation that was played. I mean, Hadi Hutter, is, he's gone with a 3-4-2-1. And if we look back last season... They played that against Bayern. Kovac did. They were beaten one nil. Then they rolled it out again a, a couple of other times um, they, against Bayer Leverkusen, where they were smashed four one. Um, and in the league, the only time it was um, profitable was the second to last game against Hamburg, who were you know, awful last season, um, and they won three nil. They did it again the last game of the season um, against Schalke, and they were beaten one nil again. They had a few successes in the cup with it. Um, most notably the semi-final against Schalke. But even then, that was a bit of a smash and grab late. They outplayed... Manu and I were in the Olympic Stadion for the Pokal final, and they outplayed um, Bayern, but they did it 4-3-3, and it was a very offensive 4-3-3. So I don't understand why 
um, they went with this back three. Okay, you've got mm. the four in the middle, but but the back three couldn't cope with the with the fullbacks. The fullbacks for Bayern, um, Albert and Kimmich just ran the game for them, and I I think it was a real massive oversight to go with three at the back. And this uh, goalkeeper, for for those that don't know, Manu, just tell us a little bit about him because he's he's Danish. Mm. He did go to the World Cup. He's actually twenty six, but there will be those that know nothing about him. Yeah, Frederik Grönow. It's an interesting story. He was the guy that came in to replace Radetzky at the two previous clubs. So he seems to be always following Radetzky. He's he's a good keeper, but I think, and, that, and this really showed yesterday, he was injured. This was his first game. Um, he missed a bunch of games in preseason. So this was his first preseason game, if you say that is preseason, right? So you could tell that he was rusty. His, this timing was off. I think that he, he didn't communicate very well with the back three. And then he, of course, Chris is quite right. He was left alone, um, quite a bit. I mean, when you look at that first goal, they had a graph up where they, you quite clearly see the back three. And when this, when Bayern switched flanks, um, Kimmich has given a lot of space on the right and then he's able to make that cross. On the cross, though, I don't think Bruno looks very well either. But that's, again, that's timing, right? Mm. And timing is something that keepers can only get through playing time. So I guess Hütter decided, well, this is this is a Super Cup game. Um, there is money on the line, right? But at the end of the day, it's not the end of the world if they lose that game. Of course, you don't want to lose 5-0 either um, because that's not exactly going to give you keeper confidence. Um, but I guess he had to play him now because next weekend is already the Cup. We're going to talk about that later, right? And then after that is already the Bundesliga. So there isn't very many games left for giving him the minutes that he needs to be um, be consistent. Yeah, I actually thought the second goal he was not not best placed, let's uh, put Mm. it that way, uh, if anyone gets a chance to see that. And you mentioned as well uh, replacing... Radetzky, who's uh, who's left the club to go to Bayer Leverkusen, the the, uh, the Slovak keeper who was uh, really uh, regularly consistent. Eintracht Frankfurt will need to find consistency. They are going through a bit of a rebuild. I suppose the the really good news was uh, that Rebic, the Croatian star who played so well at the World Cup, would have drawn quite a lot of attention from a number of big clubs. But actually, one of the best signings, despite all these new players that Eintracht Frankfurt have born in, uh, brought in, has been extending the contract of uh, Antti Rebic. So if we're trying to take anything positive at the moment for any Eintracht Frankfurt fans listening, I suppose it is you still have your star man. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Chris, how many times have we said clubs have to keep their biggest stars in order to be successful, right? Last keys. Yeah, you, you need to. If it's no good developing for other players, sorry, and, and other clubs. It's no good being a, a sausage factory if we're going to stay on the sausage team. Stay no on it. A, <laughs> no good being a sausage factory for other clubs. And the fact that Rebic has stayed is is a big sign for um, Eintracht. I think it'll stand them in good stead. I was lucky enough to see him a couple of times last season. I thought he was excellent. Um it obviously saw him week in, week out, but seemed live in the flesh in the stadium. And I thought he was he was brilliant. So to keep hold of that player, um, that lets others stay as well. If you start losing your best players, then you get viewed as a stepping stone. And Eintracht Frankfurt definitely don't want to be seen as a stepping stone. They want to be you know going and doing bits in the Europa League and then maybe potentially one day qualifying for the Champions League. So I think it was very, very important that after losing their coach, that they didn't lose all their key players. 
Yeah, and technically he was a Fiorentina player and uh, was only on loan, but it's uh, been made permanent and was going to be that way. Uh, let's talk about some of the players that uh, Eintracht Frankfurt have actually uh, lost uh, before we look at some of the players they've brought in. Some big names, some some up-and-coming stars amongst this lot as well. Uh, Marius Wolf has gone to Borussia Dortmund. You can talk about these in just a moment if you wish. Uh, there's also uh, Mascarell, who's gone to Schalke. We mentioned Radetzky, the goalkeeper, has gone to Bayer Leverkusen. And the uh, well-known Kevin Prince Boateng, who's gone to Italy to play for Sassuolo. So some big names have left the side. It is in, in rebuild. But they've also brought in some names that are quite exciting, but there will be one or two players and fans that don't know about these players. So, Manu, just talk to us about where Eintracht Frankfurt currently are. Well, I think that gets us back to this this game that we just saw, right? And the they are, and Chris is quite right, the 4-3-3 is how they won the cup. And I was surprised that they basically went to the 3, well, I guess 3-4-3 three, three or 3 um, three, four, two, one, um, depending on how, how you view it, um, formation, because that's not how Adi Hütter plays football or has played football with the clubs that he was with before. And that was, um, of course, um, RB Salzburg, where we know the philosophy is very much the same as RB Leipzig. So this is a side that plays four, two, 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 um, the very high pressing football, right? Um, at times a four, three, three. And then he was at young boys in, uh, Switzerland in Bern. And he very much played a 4-3-3 there too, um, a 4-2-2-2. And that's, again, a very different formation than what we said yesterday. So I guess for me, it was a big surprise that he rolled out with that formation against Bayern because it was not very Adi Hütter-like. Maybe he thought he, he could give um, his team a little bit of confidence or um, ease, him, ease him over to this new formation that he has in mind. And you didn't see very many new of the new signings, and you didn't see Antarevich either, because of course he played at the World Cup all the way to the final. So I think um, of the new players that we saw, we only saw Toro, and um, didn't have the best off games. And I thought that you know there was definitely still quite a bit of work um, to be done in in terms of how they how they're going to set the. the the formation. Of course, we saw Renault, um, and he didn't have the best of games either. Just yeah, to correct you're myself. Right. Um, so those were <laughs> the only t- two new signings in the squad. And I reckon there's two weeks left, right? Till the Bundesliga starts. Um, have to double check who they're playing in, in the Pokal, but usually the first round for Bundesliga sides is quite, quite straightforward. So I think really what you're going to see at the moment is a lot of of work and getting in the players that they signed to work in this new system. And, and I reckon that the system that we're going to see on match day one of the Bundesliga is going to be very different than what we saw Kovac's play because that's, this is one thing that really struck me during this, um, during this DFL Super Cup final. And I'm, I'm curious what you think, Chris, is although Kovac didn't win the cup final in with this formation, this was still very much a Kovac team playing against Bayern. Yeah, it was, and, and I think that's why it was so shocking to see them play the way they did. And, and I get they pretty much fell apart after the fourth goal went in. And I think if Sandro Wagner scores from was it two and a half yards, maybe the score's even worse. I think six nil probably would have been a bit more reflective of the game, especially of the second half. But yeah, I don't know why you would come in um, as a new manager and try and change the philosophy or the playing style of a club 
when it's pretty much aligned to the one that you're going to bring in anyway, and especially in this game. Um, I don't think it did anybody any favours, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them play a completely different game in the in the midweek. And obviously they're playing um, Ulm, Manu, um, so they should power past them yeah. um, with a youth side, even if they had to. Yeah, that gives them no disrespect to Ulm. And yes, we can, again, we'll talk about the cup in a bit more detail, but that will give them another test match, um, give the keeper maybe some playing time as well again. And also to integrate maybe some of those new signings. And I reckon that there will be a transition away from this, um, three, five, two or three, four, three or three, four, two, one. Um, you know, towards a four, four, three, three or four, two, 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 um, similar to what Leipzig play. But I guess, um, he will, he will need the time to integrate all these new players. And as you mentioned, Hull, there's quite a lot of new signings in the squad, and some of them are quite promising. Yeah, some of them are pretty young. Uh, but players that many won't be familiar with. Evan and Dicker from uh, French football. He's a defender. He's only 18. When you, when you look at the, the ages I'm about to go through, you think, well, how can these young players get used to a system that they won't have played in before super quickly after a super cup super hammering uh, you've got lucas toro 24 uh, pacienza 24 uh, francisco Geraldes is 23 and chris you know alan because he's 21 and on loan from uh, liverpool although i haven't seen too much of him in a red <laughs> shirt we all know alan is at hertha berlin last year and didn't do particularly well at times did he manu yeah, did, well, he was. That was two years ago, actually. He was in Cyprus, I think, oh, last year. He, was, he went to Nick. Um, was it Nicosia? But uh, yeah, he, yeah, he was. Um, he was pretty poor. I think someone, one of the German press, described him as pretty much absent in all games he played in, which <laughs> is a little unfair because um, I think he's trying to settle. Uh, I don't know if he'll ever come to Liverpool because I don't think he's going to get a work permit now. Whether he gets time at Eintracht Frankfurt is probably. For a topic for a different pod. Well, he's got to stay in the same country if he wants to get a work permit, surely. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, you would think that. And <laughs> he, he didn't even play regularly when he was over in Cyprus. So mm-hmm. um, obviously Liverpool are keen to keep him, otherwise they would have moved him on. But I think it's this season's definitely make or break for him. But um, if if Frankfurt change the way they play um, and do nothing like we saw the other night, he, he could do a job you know, maybe for the last 20 minutes or so, and, and maybe in the Pokal if he gets the opportunity. But he had his um, attitude and his, his approach to training was questioned a, a number of times, especially when he was at Hertha Berlin a couple of seasons ago. And um, even though he was playing over in Cyprus, he, he didn't play a majority of the games, which is slightly concerning because if you can't play in Cyprus, no disrespect to the Cypriot League, you're probably not going to be able to cut it in the Premier League or the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, you just mentioned uh, Herter as well. Uh, so one man that made his name, uh, Herter amongst other clubs, mainly Stuttgart, let's be honest, uh, Freddie Bobic. He is now uh, no longer a professional footballer because he's almost as old as Chris Williams. Uh, but he's working for Eintracht Frankfurt and he's been talking about the investment for the future. That seems to be something that he recognises as being as almost as key as keeping Rebic. So, uh, Manny, these, these signings, should uh, Eintracht Frankfurt fans be excited going for youth? Oh, that's always good. Or really very much concerned with players like Alan that Chris has just mentioned, not quite able to cut the mustard in the Premier League. No, look, um, I think, and Bobic says this in the interview that he gave to Kicker, and it's a really interesting interview. And so if you do speak German, you have access to the magazine. I, I highly recommend it. But 
I think that the one thing that he points out, and he's quite right, when he first signed for Frankfurt as the sporting director, they had 2.7 million euros to make 12 signings. That was their budget, right? Mm. And that that has changed significantly over the last two seasons. I mean, him and Kovac have done a big job getting this team turned around. And I mean, they're going to play Europa League. They won the cup. This was their first trophy in 30 years. This is something that we have to remember too. And they did this in two years. And this year they were able to spend money and, um, you know, they spent 20 million euros. So they basically were able to tenfold the amount of money they were able to spend for new signings. So I think while they are still a work in progress, any club that has been significantly underperforming for as long as Frankfurt have will need more than two or three seasons to get back to play with the big boys. But they have now consistently finished in the top 10 in the Bundesliga, which is more difficult than people think. And on top of that, they have brought home a trophy. They're now going to play in Europe and they're going to take that European campaign very, very serious because they want to become a big club. And the only way to become a big club is to play internationally because that's how you get recognized outside of Germany, right? And that's the only way these days you want, you're going to become a big club. And that will then allow them to make even more, um, investments. And I think that mm. they, they're really on the right track with the investments they make. They were always going to lose players. But on the other hand, yes, they lost Mascarell. Okay. That's, that's too bad. But they never really, 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 never really thought that they could hang on to him anyways, because he had that buyback, um, from Real Madrid, right? So they, he was more or less a lone player. Yes, they lost Boateng and Boateng was a big figure for them last year. But at the same time, Boateng is also getting older and he really wanted to go back to Italy where his family is. When you look at who they kept though, they kept Jovic, they kept Rebic, they kept Gazinovic. Those three players were key when it came for them to win the, the DFB Pokal finale, right? Gazinovic scored the, scored the third goal. Rebic scored the first two. We all expected those two would be gone in the summer, that there would be no way for Frankfurt to hold on to those, what, you know, you say crown jewels. And that's what they are for the club. And they did. And I think that is really, that's a huge step for them to basically say, okay, look, we can hang on to players now and we can actually sign players and for bigger transfer fees, which then will allow us in one year from now, if you maybe finish in eight, instead of seven, instead of eight, we're going to finish seventh or sixth or fifth, maybe. Um, that will allow us to again invest in players, right? So I think that they're really quite smart and Bobic is really quite smart in how he's doing it. And I think a lot of people in Frankfurt recognize it. I mean, Chris, when we were in Berlin, the, the Frankfurt fans, they seem to be, I remember when as a kid, Frankfurt was always the, the diva of German football, right? It was a club that always underperformed. And right now there is a very much a feeling about it that this is a club in going up, even with the, the defeat in the Super Cup. Oh yeah. I mean, we were chatting to, um, Eintracht fans outside the stadium and, the pretty much the vast majority of them were just happy to be in the capital for the day. And quite a lot we spoke to thought, you know, they were going to get beaten. In fact, we're in the El Freunde party the night before, weren't we, man? And we sat yeah. with a, a gang of, um, a gang of lads, very well connected supporters at Frankfurt. And I said that I had them down to win two one and they thought I was crazy. They thought they were going to get hammered. Um, so the fact that they've managed to turn that around and maybe turn people's, um, opinions in their own city, in their own club around. I don't think this battering is going to put too much of a downer on that per se, um, because it's a one-off game against Bayern. And you know, there's a lot of things that happened 
and it was a very bad day. And sometimes if you have a bad day at the office, you know, you get spanked five nils and, and that's just what happened to them. So going forward, I think if they can sort out their playing style, then maybe they can be just as buoyant about their team as they were, you know, in that, that night in Berlin. It's exciting. I mean, the way you speak about it, it makes me feel I'm not such a Debbie Downer after that 5-0 defeat. I know they've got Europe to look forward to. I hope they don't do a Cologne uh, with their European you know, aspirations and, and extra stuff to concentrate on as well as the league. Uh, Manu, you mentioned that they want to grow. The fact that they're going to continue to tour the United States until 2026, I think is a, a wonderful thing and a tremendous positive that the club is using to try and increase its fan base. That's something that obviously you must be looking forward to continuing going forward because you'll get a chance based where you are to actually see more of them in the flesh. Yeah, I mean, I, I do go back to Europe very, very regularly, but you're quite right. And I think it is, it is exciting for them to come over here. And one of the things I've learned since we've done this Gegenpressing podcast, and this is our, we're going into our uh, second, second full season. Um, we're going into three years in November, right? Doing this. And what I've learned is that there is a huge Eintracht Frankfurt community over here, which is really surprising because you don't really have them on the radar as being one of the big clubs, but that's because in the eighties and the early nineties, they were, and there's a lot of people that have moved over to, to the States or Canada that, remember that time quite well mm, that's interesting yeah that's that is interesting so they have a quite a large um following and i mean we do we get the feedback that we get chris right when we do articles on Eintracht frankfurt is always big um they are in many ways a sleeping giant there's a few sleeping giants in in germany I mean, we we have mentioned stuttgart as well as one of the sleeping giants and Eintracht that's certainly one of the big really big sleeping giants simply because of also where they are as a club, because if you, if you are American and you fly to Germany, the first city that you will likely get in contact with is Frankfurt because of the size of its airport, right? So a lot of people just know where that is as a city and have spent time there. And I think because of that, there's a huge identifier for them. And, um, some of the groups that we know is this big Eintracht Frankfurt fan club that's based out of San Francisco, for example. So it is it is very smart of them to keep coming back here because I think if you want to grow as an international internationally as a club from Germany, you're not going to necessarily do it in the traditional markets. Um, you have to come over here. You have to come to the United States, um, China to a certain extent, but I guess Dortmund and Bayern have very much carved that up. So you have to be over here, and I think they do quite a good job with the the training camps, the way they set it up, that they do training camps over. Stateside, and they're not only they're not only playing against the big clubs like Bayern and Dortmund do in the International Champions Cup, but they also play against MLS teams. They play against some of the USL teams, and that really gets small groups of fans poked to them, right? Um, in a way that the big clubs don't do because they don't need to. And I think that's a really interesting concept. And Freddie Bobic is quite smart. He said, "Well, we're going to keep doing these US tours until 2026, of course, when the World Cup is over here." Because as the World Cup comes closer and closer, the football fever will grow. And that's really when you get the young people that are looking for clubs outside of MLS hooked on your clubs. And if you're doing this in smaller communities in the United States, you might as well do it this way. Yeah, and it makes sense uh, for fans in the US to follow German teams rather than Premier League teams because a lot more uh, Americans end up actually going to play in the Bundesliga. And now we can add uh, Canadians to that as well. Uh, also, you mentioned Sleeping Giants. I'll throw in a comatose giant of Kaiserslautern. 
but uh, hey, one day. Uh, let's move on to Sebastian Rudy to RB Leipzig. This is a Chris, a possible replacement for uh, Cater. Yeah, and it, it would um, make a lot of sense um, for Leipzig. Um, Ralph Ragnick was out um, in the press last week. He wasn't particularly happy with some members of his um, of his team, and he also wasn't happy with the incoming to the club, which is quite strange, as that's one of the areas that he's in charge of as well as coaching. So I think Leipzig are very, very aware that no matter what they do, um, there's going to be a Naby Keita-sized hole. And they've had a whole season, really, to to get someone in and they haven't so far they've brought in a couple they brought in um Conrad Lama who hasn't settled particularly well obviously Campbell came in who can do a job but he's you know hot one week call the next and, and they really need someone to come in and, and fit that position quickly now um Sebastian Rudy could come in and do that um apparently he's been and visited um Cotterweg, which is uh, Leipzig's training ground um, and I think when that happens, when a player starts visiting a training ground, I think it's pretty much odds on that they're going to follow there. And mm. Leipzig really need um, someone to come in because at the moment, you know, they've they've sort of gone off the boil a bit with regards of recruiting Luckman. It was their um, number one target for this season. It doesn't look like they're going to get that. You know, we've um, got some connections at Everton in a football grab network and. You know, we were told that it's looking like he was going to be sold and then all of a sudden Silva's come out and said that he wants to keep him and maybe he's going to get until January. Um, but then he wasn't played on the weekend in their uh, opening Premier League fixture. So, you know, have Leipzig been trying to do some business in the background to get him back over there? I think that's something that's going to run and run and may only be answered on deadline day in Germany. Um, but as I say, for a Naby Keita replacement, Sebastian really would go some way in doing that and they need to plug that gap in midfield because that's a massive piece of quality um, that's disappeared. And anybody that saw Liverpool's game on the weekend will have seen Naby Keita play fantastically well. Well, anybody that watches German football will tell you he was only in second gear. So that gives hmm. you an idea of the quality that they've lost. Yeah, Chris, uh, it was Jamie Redknapp who said after eight minutes watching Naby Keita that he looked like he'd been there for eight years. Uh, which yeah, there we go. is a slight <laughs> exaggeration. <laughs> uh, but this is the same man who said that Didier Drogba was literally on fire. So uh, we, we're going to talk about that. Was That was speculation, and it's possibly going to happen, going from Bayern Munich to uh, Leipzig. But what has happened is uh, Schalke defender. Actually, uh, let me add my little bit on Sebastian Rudy, because there is an important bit that I need to, to add to this story Because we before we move on. Because I think what this this Rudy deal potentially does, um, and one of the things that has limited RB Leipzig's growth is not not lack of money, but financial fair play, right? And financial fair play, of course, is um, maybe the, the biggest issue that RB Leipzig have um, because they're only allowed to grow in a certain way. But this this deal, Sebastian Rudy, they could possibly get maybe even on, a, on almost a free transfer, which then means they could feel that, fill that midfield hole and then use the money because right now the problem with Lookman, right, Chris, is that Everton asked for a lot of money, but they need to sign yeah, they want 35 they need, euros yeah. by going by the reports in the UK. So they need to sign a striker and they want Lookman, but they also need to sign a, a central midfielder. And I can see that being really the thing that holds them back. So if they get Rudy, 
on this deal, relatively cheap, and Rudy apparently is willing to forfeit a large part of his buy-in salary as well, that could really open them the door, door for them to make another Lookman bid. Um, this is maybe another you know piece of information I think that is quite important when you look at this Rudy transfer and why they're also maybe looking at bringing in a 28-year-old, which is, I mean, 28 is four years older than what Rangnick likes to sign when it comes to new players. Absolutely. We'll have to wait and see uh, what happens there. I think it makes perfect sense. And uh, thank you, Manny, for adding that uh, extra detail. Uh, Tilu Kura from uh, Schalke to Paris Saint-Germain. It looks like it's uh, in, in pounds anyway, 33 million pounds. And uh, quite a surprising deal. Anyone who's seen him will know that well, he doesn't always start for uh, Schalke and uh, not exactly a standout player, but seriously massive potential and certainly in a position that uh, they need to strengthen PSG but probably means no Boateng to PSG so Manu this one did this one catch you off guard yeah I think it caught everyone off guard this is the kind of deal where um, (laughs) I mean the day before there was a rumor that Schalke were going to sign Draxler, and I guess that rumor came because PSG's encourage was, uh, encourage was met, uh, saw in, uh, in Gelsenkirchen. So I guess they were, they were negotiating, but they were negotiating for quite something different. And yeah, I think there has been, I mean, there has been rumors about Tilo Kera possibly going and join Barcelona, and apparently they were bidding for him as well. But then at the same time, Kero was very close to signing a new contract at Schalke. And apparently the, the deal was structured in a way that if it, if PSG hadn't met Schalke's demands, um, I'm hearing 37 million euros, then Kero would have signed a new contract in Gelsenkirchen. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting transfer. I'm, I'm sort of on the fence when it, when it comes to that one because I'm really curious to hear what Chris thinks, but I, I mean, Tilo Kera is a, is a massive talent. Um, he is, he can play center back. He can play on the wings, but he's not the sort of player that where I went, Oh, wow. He's, he was one of the players of the season last season. He's not the kind of player where I'm thinking this is, this is going to be a massive loss for Schalke. Um, he's just, you know, I know the potential that he has, but I'm thinking Schalke is getting, if Schalke are getting that kind of money for him, this could really help them to do something in the transfer window because I think Schalke are one of those clubs that really do need to some, do something because if they are going to play the way they played last season with the system and the players that they have, they're going to be in massive trouble um, this year because it's not going to work. So maybe something good will come out of this. But yeah, um, when it comes to Kara, I'm really curious what, what your opinion is on him, Chris, because I, he's never really been the kind of player where he was awestruck last year. No, he's not. And he's certainly not a player that I would have thought would have gone for that sort of money, especially going to um, France. If he would have come to England, obviously German sides like to put a Premier League levy onto any transfer free. So you could quite imagine him getting up to that level if he was coming to England. But he's, he's never been a standout player. I can only think that Thomas Tuchel has seen something in him um, that he thinks he can really work with. And we all know that Tuchel likes to develop young players and, and bring them on. And it's it's part of that success he had um, whilst he was at Dortmund um, and ultimately what was missing from their play last year. So he's obviously seen something um, in him. Um, obviously, we'll have known him well, quite a close connection, same area. And um, we'll have seen him 
you know, a great many times over the season. So, yeah, it is a strange one, especially for this type of money. Had he gone for maybe half would have been a little unfair, but had he gone for around about 20 million euros, I would have thought, well, okay, yeah, I can see they've got potential in them. But, you know, 33, we're getting into um, maybe overpayment. But then again, the age is on his side. And, you know, if that goes in, over a, a great number of years, then you know that'll be um, a pittance of a fee, really, if he if he lives up to his potential. But it, it's a bit of a gamble by PSG, and you're quite right. Schalke now have um, a lot of money that they can put back into the side because uh, Manu, I can't remember when it was. I think it was January when I went over to Schalke and saw them play Hertha Berlin, and yeah, they won, but they were pretty dreadful for that um, for that month or so, and factor in Champions League football as well and in the pot that they're in it could be a real bad um, it could be a real bad late winter and if they manage to get through into even to the Europa League it could be a bit of a poor time for them up to around about February March and if they're having a bad time in the Bundesliga because it's reflective of the fact that they don't get enough rest and they're not doing particularly well um, in Europe, we could have a Leipzig scenario on our hands where they just drop straight out of Champions League football into Europa League football and then all of a sudden you know, are down to the last couple of matches where they're fighting for some sort of European place in the season after, which I don't think is what Schalke need. They've got themselves back into the Champions League after you know one point looking like they were going to get relegated the season before and they need to be back in that area because don't forget Dortmund are going to be out for massive revenge for this season, knocked off their um, NWR perch uh, as the best team in the area so they're going to be looking to get that back so Schalke have got it all to play for so this money should help them if they can get someone in but you know where are we now the time's rapidly running out um, with what's left in the window unless they can go and poach someone it's, it's going to be difficult for them yeah I think that Schalke have are the club that has still of the top of last season's top four they're the ones that have the most work ahead of them and I mean, when I look at the, the spendings, they spent 31 million, um, so far this year. Now with this deal, they have earned 6.5 million euros. Um, so they had a minus 25 at the moment. 37 will put them at plus 12, um, put in the Champions League money. That means there's still, I reckon there's still a lot of money to be spent considering too that they got rid of Hervides, who was a big earner, right? Um, Maya was a big earner. Goretzka was a big earner. So um, there's a lot, there should be a lot of money available at the moment. And Heidel is a very good sporting director. He's very good at getting deals over the line. And I think they need to do quite a bit because I can see them easily drop out of the top four because you will have Dortmund, you have Leverkusen, you have Bayern, Right. They will all, they all, in my opinion, in a better, better position. You know, from the back, you will have Gladbach. Those, that's another side that will be pushing RB Leipzig, for example. That's another side that I think when Rangnick is done with them, they will be a, quite a lot better. And for me, Domenico Tedesco, Schalke is such a demanding, demanding club in terms of the football that the fans want to see. You can get away with one season where you play just for results. You know, yes, last year was all about result-based football. I can't, I can't see that that crowd. And um, you've been in the Schalke Arena, right, the Feltons Arena, Chris. And that's a, that's a crowd that's very similar to, in many ways, to the the kind of crowd that you get at Bayern. That, you know, a one-nil victory 
isn't enough. You can sell that to to the fans for maybe a season, but I I think that that sort of football that they were playing last year, they would probably get a little bit in trouble if they continue to play that. So Domenico Tedesco needs to develop his football, and in order to develop his football, they will have to bring in some players. I'm I'm exceptionally worried for Schalke because who they've brought in hasn't addressed who's gone out, which is um, Gretzka and Maya. Um, and they're two fantastic players who, okay, they went through peaks and troughs last season, but on their day, if playing well, they're the sort of players that can power Schalke to victory. Now, they don't have either of them this coming season. And really, I don't know if they've strengthened in the right area. Okay, they've um, they've brought in Mark Ud, who's a brilliant centre-forward. Um, but in that central midfield area for either attacking or defensive. And let's not forget that Tedesco had re-rolled Meyer into both. Um, I, you could go as far as say they've potentially lost three players um, with Max Meyer performing two of them roles. Yeah, I guess that it, maybe they're hoping that Weston McKinney, the young American, can make a step up. But at the same time, you're losing Goretzka and was very important for them. Max Meyer, of course, towards the end of the season, when the relationship really broke down between the club and the player, wasn't as important anymore. But for large parts of the season, he was, right? So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think when I look at that, when I look at that club, I, I really need to see a bunch of players that they have in now and brought in to make perform exceptionally well in order for Schalke to hold the level that they had last season. And I reckon the level that they had last season will not be good enough this upcoming year. Wow, it's going to be exciting to see. I, I sort of uh, fancied Schalke before I listened to everything you just said to uh, get in the top four. I think Tedesco knows what he's doing. And uh, we're all forgetting Salif Sane. I mean, <laughs> you talk about quality defenders. I watched him play for Hanover 96 plenty of times. He's You're absolutely right. And I mean, the way they're setting it up now, uh, is that they are probably going to go away from the 352 um because yeah. they have now the two big guys Tilo Kerr was of course a player that worked very well in that that 352 formation so they must have said okay look if we if we're moving away from that formation anyways with Salif Sani and Naldo as the two large center backs then maybe you know maybe they will do something in order to to make that transition and play um I don't know, four three three or four 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 two or um you know, any of kind of four in the back formation because they have so many forwards as well. They signed I mean loads of Yeah, forwards. yeah. I mean Chris, they already had Burgstaller and Bolo and they brought in Teuchert in the summer and the winter, right, from Nuremberg, and then now they have Mark Ut as well. That for me shows shows for me anyways that there is probably going to be a formation change in the store. Yeah, I hope they've been practicing it over pre-season and I hope they've been working on it because if you look at last season, Schalke only played with a um, back four twice. And in fact, they went on a back five once then. So three times out their entire, uh, I mean, how old it was, it's 34, um, 34 league games and then what, two, four, five um, Pokal games. And out of them whole times, you're looking at 30 occasions where they played with three at the back. Um, so to flick it over in one summer and maybe lose um, to your best midfielders, I think um, they could be in for a real problem. Um, and we've seen what happened the other year when they got off to a bad start 
you know, they didn't win for was it the first six or seven games? In mm. fact, it might have even been all the way to November. I think it was our second or third podcast when they finally won a game. So, um, yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, well, I'll just leave you with three words: Franco De Santo. <laughs> right, uh, let's move on to the uh, the cup because Manu quite rightly said that the the Pokal is something that we will preview the DFB Pokal, which is the the cup. Uh, the first round always fun. The underdogs taking on the big boys. So uh, Manu, how do the amateur clubs actually qualify for the Pokal? Yeah, so it's a little different than in England um, for because a lot of our listeners are used to the FA Cup, right? In the FA Cups, you have pre-rounds, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, right? You play... Um, the... Yeah, you do so they have pre-qualifying rounds. So it, I think it starts how round about July, doesn't it? The winners win it in May and then it's back underway in July. Oh, yeah, it's already underway massively, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. So in, in Germany, there is um, what we call regional cups. So the regional cups, um, every every land has their own uh, cup. So there's a Bavaria cup, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the winners of those qualify. Um, so the first, the first round is 64 teams. There's 36 teams from the Bundesliga and second Bundesliga. They are straight in. The top four finishers, finishers of the third division are straight in. And then there's, uh, 21 remaining, um, cup winners, um, of the regional football association. They're called Verbandspokale, right? Um, then there is the three remaining slots that are given to the three um, regional association with the most man's teams. So Bavaria, um, 1860, for example, did not win the Bavarian Cup last year, but because they finished first of the Regionalliga Bayern, that made them technically Bavarian champion and that qualified them for the first round of the cup. So that's where the remaining 21 teams come from. So there's the third division teams, um, to a large extent also play in the regional cup competitions, which makes, of course, makes it very important because the regional cup competitions then qualify you for your, um, for the potentially for DFB Pokal the following year. So it's kind of similar, I guess. Um, only that you in a sense have, um, Germany as a federal state, right? As a country of many countries. Um, the, there is a sort of, Kind of like it is for the Champions League in the Europa League that you have to qualify for the national competition, which makes the, the regional cup competitions really interesting. And, um, we also makes it possible for sometimes fifth or even sixth division teams to qualify for the, um, DFB Pokal. Wow. And, and Friday, August the 17th is when we can watch some of that action. So Manu, who are the amateur clubs that are taking on some of the big boys? Yeah. I- I guess the one that everyone is going to look out for. And I, thankfully, there was a great article and, and kicker, um, about them because I had no idea who they were. And that's Doctors and Assel. Um, I dare you to pronounce that, boys, because, um, <laughs> <laughs> they're from, they're from, uh, Lower Saxony. So between Cuxhaven and Hamburg, and they are going, they won, they won the lottery because they're going to get to play Bayern in that first round. They are a fifth division team, um, Landesliga, I think it's called. And, um, yeah, they, they are going to play in that, in, in that big ticket game against Bayern. And I think what's really interesting is they had the option to, to move to Hamburg and play at the Milan Tour in St. Pauli, but they decided to, to host the game, um, in Doch, in Drochtessen, um, to, to play there in their 7,500 seat capacity stadium because they wanted a little bit of a home advantage. 
So yeah, this is going to be a fascinating one. And that's, I mean, I love, I love the cup. Uh, Chris, we were lucky enough to go to the cup final. You've been to the cup final now two or three times in a row, right? Um, with Dortmund. Twice. Twice. Yeah. So it, it's just such an, it's such an amazing event. And it's the, the cup in Germany is just, I have no idea how it compares to other countries. I, I know when I lived in England, it felt, um, the, the London is such a big city. So you, the, the cup final in Wembley almost seemed to get lost when I lived in London. Whereas in Renew in Berlin, the, the, the two, the two sets of fans really take over the city for the entire day. And it really encapsulates the entire cup feeling for me and the way you get there. And I, I personally am a big fan of the cup. And I think um, when you look at that first round and some of the pairings, I think you're in already for quite a treat from the very beginning. And we see quite often that a lot of the Bundesliga sides gets eliminated early on. Uh, the romance of the cup. I, I will actually have a go at saying that name because it sounds to me like someone would sort of say, uh, go and see my medical professional, Dr. Sen Assel. He'll sort <laughs> you right out. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's close enough, I, I guess. <laughs> So what are some of the other amateur sides we might not have heard of that are taking on some of the teams we will have heard of, Manu? Yeah, so um, Dortmund, of course, they got third. So that's a second division side. Everyone will know them. So we don't need to go into too much detail. But then when you look at, for example, Schalke, they got Schweinfurt. This is a side that I know quite well from last season because 1860, of course, played in the uh, Bayern Liga with them and lost the semi-final of the Bavarian Cup to Schweinfurt and that's how Schweinfurt qualified for this because they ended up winning the Bavarian Cup. Um, this is, they were really unfortunate last year to be quite honest because they, everyone tipped them to win the Bavarian League and get promoted to the third division. But then 1860, of course, dropped down into that division. And as a previous second division side were, of course, favorites them to win it. And they did in quite convincing fashion. So they were a little unfortunate to be still stuck in that fourth division. They're going to play uh, Schalke. Schweinfurt is a small uh, Bavarian town. Not a lot of people will know about it. I mean, it's a funny name. Schweinfurt means Bavari uh, pick crossing. So uh, you can you can have fun with that <laughs> because fits with the the sausage factory. Uh, also fits. Yeah, of, yeah. Also, of course, fits with the fact that the uh, CEO of Schalke, the president of Schalke, owns a sausage factory. So I'll let you play with that one. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, that is, that's going to be an interesting one. Fortsheim against Bayer, uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Not a lot of people will have heard about Fortsheim. Fortsheim is from Baden-Württemberg. Another small club, one day regional competition. Of course, um, Chris, I put this down because we, we spent some time in Berlin and we, you did a video shoot about them. BFC Dynamo playing Köln. Uh, remember we went to their stadium and, um, we went, of course, to the, the stadium that they play in now as well. That's going to be a great uh, day out if you're in Berlin, right? Yeah, you're quite right. So, uh, Dynamo Berlin, where um, you and I spent well, it was a good couple of days. We walked probably around half of Berlin doing the old football tour. So, yeah, in the sports forum, Mano, I'll let you pronounce the second part of that stadium. Hörnschönhausen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, then we went from there, um, which which was their very old ground where uh, where they played Liverpool in. We went to the Frederick Ludwig Jan Sports Park where um, they played Nottingham Forest in. That's why I went over to see them because they have such a um, uh, such a tremendous history when they're the champions of the old GDR, the old East Germany. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a big game for them against um, FC Köln. And everything I've seen so far, 
um, has, has shown me that this game has been swapped to the Olympia Stadion, which I think is a bad move for me personally. Mm, yeah, when we, that's, that's when one we of the things there, you want. My yeah, when yeah, when Manu and I were there, we were um, they were redoing the ground, so their old ground was getting a makeover. There was two guys there, and when we were trying to film and do audio, and they were strumming grass, which didn't work for Manu and I at all, but it certainly worked for the club because the place was looking really nice. Um, and they were getting the pitch ready. Now, we were unable to ascertain out of them whether that was for training or whether they were looking at making a move back to that stadium. But it was a real old traditional standing terraced football ground. Um, obviously, the new ground that they're playing now um, in a little bit Jan Sport Park it, it is fabulous. It's where, the, um, it's where the Berlin Cup final is played. And obviously, that's why they're there because they won, I think they won 2-0 um, on the day that I flew home. So... Yeah, I'll be really glad to see them back in. And yeah, they get a lot of bad press because you know, they've been associated with um, right-wing elements in the past. Um, obviously, going back all the way back to when the war was there, they were the team in the Stasi. Um, so they do get a bit of bad press. But I think it's, as you said, Hal, there's a bit of a romanticism of the cup there um, oh. to take. It's just a shame that they won't be playing with their old badge, which people should Google because it is as East German as it comes. Yeah. It is now owned by a Hertha fan, which is why they can't use it, which is pretty hilarious. They lost the rights because they, they sold the rights to the badge. When they renamed <laughs> the club to FC Berlin in the early 1990s, you know, when they went there, when they tried to get away from that image and, um, didn't secure the, the rights because it, the badge is very similar to the Dynamo Dresden badge, right? The very common that you see with all the Dynamo clubs all over the post-Soviet space um, and, of course, uh, the Balkans as well. That that common D on on a background, um, that was that was Dynamo Berlin's badge as well. And, um, yeah, they lost the rights to that to a Hertha fan, which is, I think, is, well, is hilarious. It actually says on Wikipedia, which means it's true, that they have strong rivalries with Dynamo Dresden, Union Berlin, but have a friendly rivalry with the Scottish side, Aberdeen. I have absolutely no idea why that would be the case. Neither do I. Well, we'll throw that out there. If you know why, get in touch. <laughs> that would be fascinating. I know why, because they played, oh. they, played, they played them back in the day when they were a really decent side. Um, and obviously they travelled around Europe playing loads of different teams and um, Aberdeen were one of the sides that they played on one of the many occasions in their forays into Europe. Well, there you go. That was a quicker getting in touch mm. than I anticipated, but uh, absolutely correct. There you go. I love learning stuff, and that was something I didn't know. So that that's a really great game to watch. As you mentioned, they'll be playing uh, Cologne. And I also mentioned Union Berlin. So both those sides, of course, are facing off in the opening game. Uh, they, actually, not the opening game. Why are we now in the... Bundesliga 2, they've already played a couple of games, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, the Bundesliga yeah, 2 is two match days in. Yeah, yeah, two match days, yeah. And I'm, I'm happy to report that Hamburg won a game. Oh, excellent. And also, Manu, I want you to keep me abreast of every time, because you mentioned Eintracht Frankfurt have such a large following in uh, North America, every time you see a Hanover 96 fan, I want you to take a picture of them and send it to me. Okay, I'll, I'll note this down as homework. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to the, the first round of games in the DFB Pokal. Uh, guys, unless there's anything you want to leave us with, Manu? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, that's, that is, that is a, the first round. It's exciting. So we're going to have a, a few previews coming up 
um, on footballstadt.com. So if you want to know more, there's a few of the games that we've mentioned, of course, and I'll, I'll throw in some random ones that I think are going to be interesting to watch. For example, Kaiserslautern against Hoffenheim. Kaiserslautern, you were quite right. How, um, that's a sleeping giant that have fallen quite low this season and is struggling right now in the Liga 3 as well. They're playing Hoffenheim and that's a, that's a regional rivalry. Um, used to be the other way around. Of course, with Hoffenheim, the lower division team, and Kaiserslautern, the top division team, but that game will be in Kaiserslautern. I reckon that will be a great atmosphere and um, a really good game to watch as well. And I'm really curious to see what Hoffenheim are doing this year anyway. So I'm looking forward to that. Rostock against Stuttgart, I think this is going to be another one where the atmosphere is just going to be amazing. Um, Kimi Leipzig, Jan Regensburg, I want to point that one out too because... We, I saw the Kimi fans, they were at 1860 over the winter. They were playing um, a charity match against each other. So this is a cl- club with a really good fan base um, in, in Leipzig. And then, of course, East German derby, Karl Zeiss Jena, Union Berlin. Karl Zeiss Jena, a club that made the Cup Winners' Cup final in 1981 against Dinamo Tbilisi. Lost that game. And, of course, Chris, Union Berlin. Uh, don't need to see much, say much more about them, do I? No, you don't. Well, uh, Chris, unless you've got a, a stunner stair lift to, uh, to attend, uh, is there anything else that you would like to bring to us? Uh, no, just the massive amounts of ageism that I've decided to report. No, I will be uh, doing all the imagery um, surrounding that. There's um, Champions League games and there are Europa League games on. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing some stuff for that for Manu. Um, but, no, pretty much I will just be plodding on as per usual. Plodding very much the term nowadays, Chris. If I were you, would play your favourite record first. Uh, that was Gagan Pressing, the German football pad podcast from the Football Brad Network. I've been Hal Stewart. Thank you very much, Chris Williams and uh, Manu Vey. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you chaps. Enjoy the start now of the Bundesliga. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.